everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk. I am very privileged and honored to be able to introduce two speakers today. This series that we are in is called Perspectives, so we get to hear from our family members here. The first speaker today is Jeremy Richter. Jeremy, yes, that's right, shout out. <laughs> Jeremy's a wonderful person. I, I had the honor to actually marry Jeremy and Tracy. It was wonderful. Jeremy's been at this church for quite some time now, seven or more years. He has been so faithful in serving as life group host, life group leaders, and just a wonderful person. I am really excited for you to hear his story. And so I just want to encourage you to engage with Jeremy here. Listen, keep your eyes open. And I know afterwards he is so happy to chat with you. So Jeremy, welcome. Come on up. morning. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) This is not my wheelhouse at all. I was saying earlier that uh, Amos asked me to do this a few months ago, and I was like, oh my gosh. I was so conflicted, and I said, yeah, let me think. Let me pray on it. Let me think about it. And a week goes by, and I'm still praying. Between me and God, he's like, yeah, you need to do it. I'm like, ah. The enemy saying, no, you don't. And it was a conflict back and forth, and guess who won that battle? <laughs> so here we go. It is 2003, and I'm kneeling in the wheat field on my parents' farm in Oklahoma, staring up at the stars and asking again for God to please forgive me for attempting to take my life. I promised him that I would never, ever try to do that again. I had attempted to take my life when everything seemed to be crashing down. I feared my marriage was ending, but more importantly, I was afraid I was going to lose my son, Dawson, who was only weeks old at the time. Ultimately, the marriage did not survive, and yet somehow, I did. And thankfully, I was able to maintain a relationship with him, who I am so proud of, and who I am grateful to have here with me today. At the time, though, it felt unbearable to know that I had failed as a husband and as a father, and that I was going to miss out on many of his firsts. Looking back, even now, God did not answer my prayers in the way that I wanted, but through the support of my family and counseling of my pastor, I learned to adapt to a new way of life, and I could see that he was with me. Have you ever been frustrated because you prayed for something that was so important to you in the moment? But it seemed like God was silent. Prayers for a new job closer to home, that God would mend a broken relationship, or that he helped you overcome an addiction. I had prayed over all these things and more in desperation over and over, but it seemed that God did not answer. So often, I felt like God wasn't listening, that he didn't care. There were times I gave up and stopped praying altogether. If that is where you are right now, I hope that my story can encourage you. I have learned that prayers are answered in God's timing and not necessarily when we want them to be answered. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking 
and you will refine. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Over the past 20 to 25 years, I have experienced my fair share of personal hardships and disappointments. I can see now that if God had answered all of those prayers, exactly when, where, and how I wanted, I wouldn't be standing here today speaking to you. God works in our hearts over time if we let him. He used all of my trials to grow my faith, to make me a stronger person, and to teach me how to rely on him and his grace. So back to my next starry night, Wheatfield moment. It is now 2009, and I have been forced to declare bankruptcy due to credit charges I did not know about from my first marriage. I have also since remarried and had a beautiful daughter, Kenzie, whom I am so very proud of as well, and whom is also here with me today. But now this marriage was ending, and for similar reasons as, as the first. Once again, I was in agony, realizing I may lose another child, this time my baby girl. Kenzie's mom decided to take her to Iowa, more than 10 hours away. I was devastated. Once again, my life was in ruins, and I was in the wheat field asking God to please take the hurt away. I didn't care how. I remembered asking God why he was doing this to me. How was I going to keep living like this? I hadn't learned to hear God's voice, and I heard nothing in response to these prayers. I felt nothing from him and questioned his love for me. Two years later, in 2011, I'm feeling even more alone and isolated. I was not part of a group of believers and felt like I had no one to talk to. I was not happy at work, and my life felt meaningless so much of the time. Needless to say, I was very alone, ashamed, and desperate. The enemy was for sure lifting weights in the basement of my mind, telling me lies, and I was believing them more and more. I felt that I was worthless, a failure, and that there was nothing God and good in this world for me. This continued isolation led me to self-medicate with alcohol, beer to be specific, which helped me to numb the pain. I was angry with God for allowing so much bad stuff to happen to me in such a short period of time. One night, I remember asking him to please intervene and help me to find a better job and ultimately a better life. Soon after that, I was offered an opportunity to help open an office in San Antonio. I said yes, of course, and off I went to start a new chapter in my life and in my career, hoping a change would help. Less than a year later, in January 2013, I was notified that they were closing that sanitarial office, and we were told to either start looking for a new job or consider relocation. I agreed to take a position that was created for me up here in Pennsylvania, with the intent that it would be temporary and I would eventually find a job closer to home. During all this uncertainty, I had been sent to work on a project in North Dakota in the dead of coldest winter I had ever experienced, ever. <laughs> Working 14-hour days, seven days a week, 50-mile-an-hour winds, 30 degrees below zero, do the math. It was brutal. This was the season I graduated from beer and acquired the taste for bourbon. I took this increased dependence on alcohol with me on my way to Phoenixville. I knew no one in Pennsylvania, or in the Northeast for that matter, 
and being alone in my new home was excruciating. I sought out any and all projects to keep me busy and on the road, away from the isolation from my home. I wasn't in one place long enough to take, take to make friends and to have no, had no community here. When I wasn't working, I continued self-medicating, drinking at least one bottle of bourbon a week, sometimes two or three. I was in a state of depression and desperation and lived for June and July every year, which is when I got to have both my kids up for a visit. One night in late 2016, as I was about to jump into my normal weekend routine by cracking up a new bottle of bourbon, sitting in my recliner and watching TV until I passed out, I got this strong urge to pray. I stepped onto my front porch and remember looking up at the stars, no wheat field, mind you, and started praying, God, please help me get out of this funk. Please help me find community. Please help me find someone that I can share my life with. Please help me quit drinking so much. After maybe a half hour of these repeated pleas, I went back inside and created a profile on Christian Mingle. It wasn't long after that, after quite a bit of searching, when lo and behold, there she was, a beautiful brunette named Tracy, with all the qualities I could ever want or need in a friend or life partner. We started chatting, and sooner after, <laughs> soon after, agreed to meet in person at Ron's at Mexican. It was on like Donkey Kong. I was hooked, hook, line, and sinker, and immediately fell in love at first sight. The next Sunday, she invited me to a church called The Vineyard. I jumped at the invitation. I had tried attending a church in Phoenixville when I wasn't traveling for work, but it was not a good fit. I can still remember my first Sunday at The Vineyard like it was yesterday. I had an awesome first worship experience where I had actually met with God. I felt him say, welcome home, Jeremy. I felt electricity cursing through my body. I enjoyed a great sermon from Bob and felt so at home. I also distinctly remember after church that day, getting to shake hands firmly, mind you, with a great man named Ken George who warned me jokingly, but seriously, that I had better treat Tracy right or I would have him to answer to. <laughs> I, of course, assured him that I wouldn't let him down and would always treat her right. So, things are finally looking better. I loved coming to church, and I was getting pretty, plenty of opportunities to serve and build relationships. Tracy and I eventually got engaged, but one thing was also becoming painfully clear. My relationship with alcohol was not fitting into my new life. The enemy brought back old lies of shame and unworthiness that made me want to hide how bad it actually was. I hadn't hidden it for so long from coworkers and family and my kids and even myself. I was certain that I had it under control, but now that I was not in isolation at all, all the time, it was clear that I did not. I was ashamed and didn't want to share it with anyone. But after many painful and tearful conversations with Tracy, compounded with some eye-opening liver test results from my doctor about that same time, I agreed to try to get help. Enter Celebrate Recovery. I know some of you are very familiar with CR. But for those of you who are not, Celebrate Recovery is a program that is essentially Christian-based version of AA. Groups of believers get together once a week to worship and work on their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, no matter how big or small. I tried it, and I loved it. 
I was able to talk to men who had similar alcohol dependency and other life issues. They helped me to see that it was completely possible to quit and that I was not alone in this journey. I just had to pull it all and put it all in God's hands and rely on him and others who were on the journey. Week after week, I heard testimonies from people that had been sober for years. And it wasn't just about alcohol. There were beautifully broken people there working through all kinds of things, grief, anxiety, depression, drug addiction, and more. The environment was raw and, to be honest, and welcoming. I wish I had known it existed sooner. So that was first meeting was the D, the day that I quit drinking cold turkey. And by the grace of God, I've remained sober ever since. So, it is now 2018, and it has been a year since I started my recovery journey, and I am now happily married to my beautiful bride, Tracy. I have completed my first step study and made it through 12, all 12 steps. I also started to feel comfortable sharing all of my story with others. I started with just one or two people, then small groups. It was so liberating. I felt free. I had discovered the secret of de to defeating shame. It lost its power over me when I brought my story, my mistakes, my pain out into the light. I felt like so much weight had been lifted off of my shoulders and that God had been answering my prayers all along. Behind the scenes, his way. There is a song by Zach Williams called You're on My Rescue Story and that I can totally relate to. Here are some of the lyrics. There I was, empty-handed, crying out from the pit of my despair. There you were in the shadows, holding out your hand. You met me there. You were the voice in the desert, calling me out in the dead of night, fighting my battles for me. You were my rescue story, lifting me up from the ashes, carrying my soul from death to life, bringing me from glory to glory. You are my rescue story. Not only did I find family with Tracy and Graceland and their awesome family, but also a family in the vineyard within the small group and my tripod, as well as Celebrate Recovery community. I have truly been blessed and would go through it all over again just so I could wind up here, a place made for me to belong before I even knew it. It makes my heart so happy that my kids are here today with me, too. I am so thankful. In the past nearly seven years since I reestablished my relationship with Christ and started on my road to recovery, I have experienced a sense of peace and happiness that I haven't felt since I was a kid and that I never thought I would be able to feel again. I have since rededicated my life to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have developed, <clears throat> developed the ability to be more patient and trusting, God is helping me to develop a level of humbleness which gives me freedom to admit when I am wrong. Shame no longer has a hold on me. I continue to pray daily. There are lots of prayers that have yet to be prayed, answered, and I always hope for. But there have also been many prayers that he has answered. I have peace knowing that God will answer in his perfect way and timing. My faith is in him. He knows what I need and when I need it. If I could go back and talk to that broken young man in the middle of the wheat field, I would tell him God is there suffering with him. And to, 
to hand it all over to him and trust in him to take over. I would tell him to find a church community and find ways to serve others. God is always faithful. He allows us to make mistakes or to go through those hard times. But in the end, he redeems all of it so that we can look back and see how faithful he really is. I can trace his hand in all the wonderful things he has done in my life. I am so grateful that he uses my messes as a message to help others see he loves us and he is always faithful. There's one last verse that I wanted to share. Two, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person, just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that, too. I've loved the opportunity of getting to share my story with you today. If any are in, <clears throat> any that resonated with you, I would love to hear some of your story. So please come find me. Thank you for your listening. God bless. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jeremy. We love you. And we hold your story. And what I would love to have us do for a moment is to reflect on what Jeremy said. And I just, I truly believe that Jesus would like to meet you right now in this moment. And so I'm going to ask you to just in your lap, put your hands just open in your lap and close your eyes. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer and some time of silence for you to reflect. So go ahead and close your eyes. Holy Spirit, come. Imagine that it is you in that wheat field. The stars are out, and you are alone. And in your hands, you hold unanswered prayers and struggles, addictions, pain, and shame. And before you know it, someone quietly comes walking, sits beside you. It's Jesus. And he looks at you with so much love and so much care and tears in his eyes, too. Now take a moment to imagine what Jesus might say or do. Amen. Amen. Our next speaker this morning also has a message of hope. And so I pray that you're 
heart would hear it, your ears would hear this message as well. I'm going to invite Terry Miller to come forward. Terry is also a wonderful friend. She's been a very faithful life group leader and served in so many ways in this place. Terry is a teacher, and, and she also has um, experience with Celebrate Recovery, and I'm sure she would answer questions about that as well. But Terry, we love you and look forward to your message. You can put up the first slide. That's my ZZ plant, the way it looked in 2018. Every spring, I'd take it outside and let it sit on the front porch, get some extra sun. And that really worked great until the spring of 2021, when I ignored a frost warning. I told myself, ZZ plants are hardy. It can handle it. It couldn't. I killed it. It withered. The leaves yellowed. It fell apart to nothing. John 16.33 says, we will have times of trouble in this life. For my ZZ plant, the difficulty was the cold weather. For my family, some of our difficulties have included cancer, a premature birth, two layoffs, financial strain from some unpredictable and very significant home repairs, and painful relationship losses. Life is not easy. Challenges and difficulties do come. And life isn't always filled with happy endings. It's important that we reflect on how we respond to those difficulties. How do we get through them and even thrive during and after them? Honestly, there's no easy formula. But I think one key is to prepare, to set a groundwork of firmly establishing who we are, what we believe, and how we live our lives. Building those roots deep and strong during times when life is pretty good will allow us to draw from them when the most challenging times come. My ZZ plant had no idea, I know, if plants could think, had no idea I was going to keep it in a harsh environment. Before that night, though, my ZZ plant already had a few things that were going to give it a chance to bounce back. It has a root structure with rhizomes, that are filled with water and nutrients that can help it survive a harsh environment. Those rhizomes might actually be able to sprout back with new growth. My ZZ plant also had me. I wanted it to regrow. I provided those rhizomes with healthy soil, enough light and water, and this time around the right temperature so that it could regrow. But what about me and what about you? What do you have that makes you ready to withstand a difficulty? When it feels like the ground is going to collapse underneath you, what do you have that makes you stand firm? When a challenge comes, what would you reach for to steady yourself? I think we all reach for those things that are familiar and comfortable, the things we're used to, that are already established in our lives. So the question becomes, have you used times of lower stress to build a foundation that's ready to withstand a challenge? I'm going to share a little bit about what my foundations are, my core values, my priorities, and your foundations might be different. For me, when I feel unsteady, what I reach for are my faith and authenticity in relationships. These guide me in every interaction I have. They always point me in the right direction and they allow me to stand firm 
even when life situations are challenging or people around me make me feel hurt, disappointed, or rejected. First, I'm going to share about my faith. Faith to me is about a relationship with God. I am a checklist-loving, productive person. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I need to slow down and spend time with God regularly. I need to regularly remind myself that God loves me because he is love and that he loves me. He doesn't love me because of the things I do or the work I get done. Recently, I needed to pull from that deeper understanding of my value to God. I needed to depend on that foundation because my world felt shaken. For several years, I was mentally and emotionally preparing for a change within my career. It was something I had hoped for and prayed about. I took classes to start being ready for that, and I thought it was what God really wanted for me. But then a couple months ago, that door was shut in a way that really hurt me personally. I had to grieve the loss of something I had deeply hoped for. It was not only the lost opportunity, but it pushed on my insecurities of not being appreciated, not being good enough, and being disregarded. I had to cling to one of my favorite verses, which is Romans 8:28. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God loves me and cares about me and helped me to remember that his love is more important than a job title. In all of the frustration and disappointment of my situation, I could talk to God and tell him how angry and hurt and frustrated I was. And I knew deep down, he still loved me. I've also made authenticity in relationships another key foundation in my life. Honestly, it didn't start off as something very natural to me. About 15 years ago, Rusty and I were asked to help lead Celebrate Recovery, a faith-based recovery program. This program expects participants to have a sponsor and to share at meetings. As a rule follower, I figured I better need that too. So I started taking an account of how I was doing in my life. I started being honest with God and with myself that I wasn't perfect. I saw that I had experienced hurts and had hurt others. I found women that I shared honestly with. I realized I was codependent, which in my life what that means is I showed the best side of myself. I always presented to the world the Terry that I thought the other person wanted. I only participated in things that I knew I'd succeed in so that I wouldn't have to feel that sting of failure. And I was a high-achieving perfectionist. I quickly realized I needed those relationships with the women I was forming. Sharing with others helped me to process what was happening in my life, and it gave me a support system I could depend on. Living authentically and being honest with how I was feeling and what I was doing was both healthy and healing. Authentic relationships helped me to get on track back then, but they also keep me on track to this day. As a high-achieving, hard-working, sort of stubborn person, I, th <laughs> I think relationships are really critical. I can fall into a trap of conquering a challenge by doing more, working harder, but sharing with others honestly has helped me to learn how to depend on other people 
and to really look at the situations in my life and deal with them in healthy ways. Being authentic in my relationships means I'm showing the other person the real me. It means being vulnerable and honest with the other person. It also means being open to the other person's insight and wisdom into my life. This is especially important when the difficulties in my life have been actually caused or negatively influenced by me myself. None of us are perfect, and sometimes we need an outside person to help us see that. In a time not too long ago, I was discussing with my sponsor the dynamic between my spouse and myself during conflict. I want to move through conflict quickly, but he wants to think and process individually first. In those moments, my thoughts are, that's not fair, he always, what about my needs? Well, I was sharing all of this with my sponsor, and she gently reminded me to focus on surrendering to God. She knew me well enough to know that my instinct was to fight and that letting my husband have his space felt like defeat. Surrendering to God meant that I could step away from the conflict until Rusty was ready to communicate. It became about what God wanted me to do, not about the conflict itself. She also reminded me that I can't change his behavior. That's the point I couldn't remember on my own. <laughs> my desire to get through the conflict immediately and pushing him to move faster is actually about me wanting to control the process and control his responses. I need people to point out when I'm messing up. I need people to show me the things I'm not able and not willing to see on my own. Authentic relationships help me to see where I am playing a part in or even causing some of the difficulties in my life. I'm so blessed to have several close, deep relationships. I have my sponsor, and I have two close friends I talk to on a very regular basis. I'm also part of a tripod and a life group. These have all helped me through struggles, and they've been with me to celebrate victories. I needed to lean hard on them when two years ago I had a friendship that fell apart in a way that hurt me deeply. I had tried so hard to work through things with the person, but it ended with some very harsh words being spoken to me. Over these long two years of processing and healing, my support team has helped me to dig through what was my part and what was out of my control. They've helped me to see that even though I prioritize relationships, it doesn't mean that every relationship will go the way I wish it would. When I felt like a failure and doubted my own ability to be a friend, they supported me. In one particular prayer time a couple of months ago, one group member prayed over me some very powerful words of my value to the group and to her personally. Those words healed something deep in me. None of the words were about the skills I have or the tasks that I get checked off for the group. They were about the qualities of me that she appreciates. I realized at a deeper level that the rejection I felt from one person I thought was a friend does not negate the other relationships that are well-established and honest and supportive. 
I need my people in my life. Being fully transparent, having the kinds of relationships that truly support you during challenging times is difficult. It requires a willingness to be authentic, to be vulnerable. It requires an openness to hear hard things about yourself, and it takes time. In my phase of life right now, the challenge in all of this is the time. I have a very full schedule. I need to plan my times of connection with my support people, and I need to keep to those appointments. When I feel like canceling or cutting a call short, that's when I need to remember why it's a priority. By establishing these relationships and prioritizing them, they are what I naturally reach for when I'm struggling or something challenging happens in my life. I keep this little note on the wall near my desk at work. It's messy, I was crying, God was speaking, so forgive me. It's the top line that really matters, and the mathematicians of the world will get it a little bit more. It says, full is much, much greater than busy. When I think of my life as full, and I can avoid the word busy, I'm in a much better place. When I think of my life as full, I feel more able to choose how to use my time. I can make choices to spend time with people and not feel guilty about it. I can allow the value of that time to overcome the loss of minutes that could have been used accomplishing tasks. I realize now that my life is full, but there's always room to deepen relationships and to get to know others and to be known by them. Here's my ZZ plant now. <laughs> Several rhizomes grew roots and shoots and grew into healthy plants. The harsh conditions couldn't fully kill my ZZ plant and it bounced back better than before. And then here's me. I'm not perfect. I've been hurt. I've hurt others. But I've made it through some really difficult times. I've prepared myself through my faith and my support team. I'm willing to look at each struggle and find ways to grow through it. It says in the book of James that we will face trials, but they help us build the quality of perseverance. And that perseverance allows us to mature and grow. Do you know what your foundation is? Do you know what you'll grab onto when a difficulty comes? Have you been preparing yourself during times that are a little easier so that you can really thrive when a challenge comes? What makes you ready for survival? Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.